welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for the latest sermons and audio updates from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at 12.11 First Avenue North on the third floor. My feet, because they're the tax man. Whoa, the tax man. There's a generational divide of people that know this song. Some folks who are of uh, an older generation, the baby boomers, will know this as the Beatles song, The Taxman. Uh, those of us who are a little bit younger may have listened to this song because our parents were hippies and forced us to, not autobiographical at all, or because our children have discovered the show The Beat Bugs, where they take classic Beatles songs and turn them into cartoons, which... The Beatles songs are apt to do for whatever reason. But we hear that song and we understand the truth about taxes, that everything we do is going to be taxed. In fact, most of us can quote very easily Benjamin Franklin's truth that there are two things that are sure in life, death and taxes, right? Everyone pays taxes. We've learned in the past year there may be exceptions to that. But on the whole... Everybody pays taxes. It's something that is just a fact of human life, and that this is not something that is recent. It's not like 200 years ago, 300 years ago with Benjamin Franklin, that's when taxes started. No, taxes go back almost as long as there have been humans. Somebody figured out a way to tell other people that you should give me money for being in charge. Taxes are as old as humans are themselves. And so it should not come as a surprise to us that Jesus paid taxes. It's a very normal thing. It's something almost every human being has done throughout time. And yet, why would the Bible stop and tell us a story about Jesus paying his taxes? That seems like quite a weird Thing to include. You only have, God said, I've only got so much space, I'm going to write down what it's important for people to know, I'm going to write it down in these books, and I'm going to include stories of taxes, and Jesus paying his taxes, and spoiler alert, Jesus having fish pay his taxes for him, right? I mean, this is, this is a strange story, and it begs the question, why would God include a story about Jesus getting a fish to pay his taxes in the Bible. If I was to edit the Bible, I would, I would imagine that there were much greater miracles that Jesus did that would have been included here. I mean, Jesus rose people from the dead. Let's give more time to that. Jesus taught more than is recorded in the Bible. Why not use some more space on that? No, no, no. No, no, there's this story of this time that a fish paid Jesus' taxes for him. Let's write that down, and let's make that a part of Scripture. Why? Why is that in the Bible? What's interesting, and this, this story that I'm going to read for us in a minute, is as much a story about Jesus as it is a story about Peter. 
And it comes at the end of this two-chapter section in the book of Matthew where Jesus and Peter are having several interactions together. So Jesus goes with his disciples and they go up onto this mountain in northern Israel and Jesus starts asking questions like he's prone to do. And he says, who do people say that I am? And his apostles, his disciples start answering, ah, some say you're John the Baptist, risen from the dead. Uh, Some say you're a prophet. And Jesus says, okay, that's good. But who do you say that I am? And Peter, good old Peter, jumps up and says, I know the answer to this one. You're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, yes, nailed it, Peter. You got it. In fact, Peter was the first person to say this about Jesus, that he was the Messiah, the Son of God. And so you can see Peter kind of, all right, I, I got the answer right. I told Jesus the right answer. All the brownie points for me. Well, what's funny is Jesus says, you're right, Peter. And as the Messiah, as the Son of God, what's going to happen to me is in a little while, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and they're going to kill me. And Peter, thinking that he's got all the right answers, puffed up by his recent, yes, I knew the right answer, goes, Jesus says, Jesus, listen, stop it. Okay? Let's not talk about this whole, you're going to Jerusalem to die. I'm not going to let that happen. Basically, Peter says, over my dead body. And Jesus responds, get behind me, Satan. Kind of an up and down day for Peter, wouldn't you say? The first person to declare out loud that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And then called Satan by Jesus himself moments later. Not a banner day for Peter. What's interesting is not too long after that, Jesus tells three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, he says, hey, come up on this mountain with me. I want to show you something. So he goes up to this mountain, and the three disciples go with him. And Jesus is, the word the Bible uses, transfigured. He's transformed into all of his glory. And Peter says, ah, ah, look, you look shiny and beautiful just like Moses and Elijah. I have an idea, Jesus. We should totally build three little temples here. One for you, also one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And then a cloud overshadows them, and a voice comes from heaven and says, No, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Peter, again, gets to see Jesus in all his glory, and then he just has just a bit of a bad idea of, Oh, this must mean Jesus is on par with Moses and Elijah. And God speaks from heaven and says, no, 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 Peter, this is my son. He is a much bigger deal than Moses. He is a much bigger deal than Elijah. So Peter is on this roller coaster, right? Jesus, you're the Messiah, but you shouldn't die. Get behind me, Satan. Wow, Jesus, you're beautiful and glorious. We should totally build three temples. No, you would build one. There's just one Messiah. So Peter is on this up and down journey. And as he's on this up and down journey, what we see is one thing keeps occurring. The one thread that ties all of this together and is going to be a big part of the story that we're going to read is this. That Jesus is the Son of God. Peter says, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. 
when God speaks from heaven, He says, This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to Him. Again and again, this is coming through. So, let's read this obscure story. It comes from Matthew 17. It's the last four verses. We're going to read it out loud. I'm going to read it out loud. And I'd ask that you would stand uh, as I read it to us. Matthew writes this. When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the tax? And he, that's Peter, said, Yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said, From others... Jesus said to him, And then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. City Church, this is the word of God written nearly 2,000 years ago and intended for us this morning. You may be seated. So at, at the sort of end of this story, the end of this up and down story in Peter's life, we have this strange story where a fish pays Jesus taxes. So what I want to do this morning is just walk through this and look at what's happening here and how this makes any sense for our lives today. And the first thing we see is that these, these people come to Peter and they ask Peter a loaded question. Right? And they ask it in a loaded way. Right? They say, does, your, does not your teacher pay the tax? Now, look, anytime the word not is in a question, it's a trap. Right? Men, we know this, right? Did you not take out the trash? Yeah, I didn't take out the trash, right? I was, I was talking to a friend of mine, and he had an odd interchange with somebody. And I said, how, how bad was this interchange? How bad did it go? And he said, well, it wasn't not awkward. And so there's this, this long, like, obscure theological debate in Jesus' day over this tax. And these people come to Peter and say, hey, hey, what's with Jesus? Does he pay his taxes? Does he pay this obscure tax that everybody's arguing over? What's Jesus' position on this? And what does Peter do? Poor Peter. Poor Peter answers for Jesus. He says, yes, of course, he pays the tax. Which is ironic because, well, Peter didn't actually know if Jesus paid the tax or not. We have no indication that Jesus had paid this tax before anything to this level, Peter just goes ahead and answers for Jesus. And so then Peter goes home. And when he gets home, Jesus is waiting for him and immediately says, what do you think, Peter? Poor Peter, right? He gets asked a sticky question. He gets asked a question that he probably doesn't know the answer to. He goes ahead and answers for Jesus anyway, and when he gets home, Jesus is sitting there with this look on his face. Hmm, what do you think, Peter? Who should have to pay taxes, Peter? Peter, what do you think? I mean, 
it just there, there's a sense in which you just have to you have to feel for Peter, right? Because he is on this roller coaster. He is up and down. He's having a good day and a bad day. He is bouncing back and forth between saying some of the most incredible things about Jesus and then totally misunderstanding what Jesus is doing. Which, honestly is how most of our lives look, right? How, how often do most of our lives look like this ping-pong match between, I'm doing the right thing and no, I'm not. Right? L- listen to this quote uh, by, by Brennan Manning. Brennan Manning. It's one of my favorite quotes to capture this. He says this, When I get honest, I admit I'm a bundle of paradoxes. I believe and I doubt. I hope and I get discouraged. I love, and I hate. I feel bad about feeling good. I feel guilty about not feeling guilty. I am trusting, and I am suspicious. I am honest, and I still play games. Aristotle said I'm a rational animal. I say I'm an angel with an incredible capacity for beer. What Brennan Manning is getting at is what was true of Peter in this passage and what's true of us so often. Our lives are not simple. We're not always pointed in the same direction. We're not always going the right way. We're often ricocheting back and forth between one thing and another. We're often rubber banding from one extreme where we're we're doing all the right Christian things and then something happens and we're doing none of the Christian things. We're doing great and we're under control and our lives are exactly what we expect them to be. And then we are out of control. And our lives are and, and most of us live our lives in these kind of high lows, in this kind of roller coaster that Peter was going through. One of the ways that we in St. Pete experience this most dramatically is the rebounding and ricocheting between shame and pride. How many of us know that the things that we've done, the things that have been done to us, cause us great shame? And it, and it causes us to retreat, to turn inward, to be filled with that feeling of shame. And then something will happen... And we'll decide, no, I'm not going to do this anymore. But instead of moving back towards some sort of balance, instead, we go to the far other side. No shame to be felt. I'm in charge of everything. I'm the master of my domain. I'm going to do what I want. And we go to the far other extreme. And we are in charge of our life, and we're doing what we want, and we're getting what we want. And then once we get what we want, we realize that we should probably be ashamed of that thing that we want. And what do we do? We bounce back. We're up and down. We're in the same boat that Peter is in. Calling Jesus the Messiah. Being called Satan by Jesus. Seeing Jesus in his glory. Being told you got totally the wrong answer on the test, Peter. Saying that Jesus pays the tax. Jesus coming and asking us all sorts of questions as soon as we get home. We we understand what it's like to live in that up and down. We understand how it feels 
to live bouncing back and forth between those things, we understand what it's like to be Peter. So Jesus comes to Peter. And he says, Peter, who pays taxes? Do the princes pay taxes? Or does everybody else pay taxes? And Peter says, well, everybody else, the sons of the king, the sons and daughters of the king, they don't have to pay taxes, they get the taxes. So if all throughout this passage, we've seen that Jesus is the Son of God, He's the Messiah, the Son of the living God, this is my Son, God says, who I am well pleased, what do we expect is going to happen when Jesus gives us this little mini parable? He says, who should have to pay taxes, the sons or the kings? What we would expect would happen in this passage is that Peter says the sons, and then the fish is going to pay Jesus' taxes for him. That's what we'd expect. We expect that this is setting us up to see another way in which Jesus is the Son of God. But something happens. Instead of just setting up that Jesus is the Son of God, the fish gets a little extra. The fish decides, and God decides, to use this fish to do something different. And this is sometimes lost on us because we don't know how coins in the Bible work, right? I don't know how any other currency works, right? I, I'm pretty sure there's pesos. One time I went to Costa Rica, they had these things called colones. And the extra, I mean, any exchange rate that's not one-to-one -one is totally lost on my math skills. Right? It's, it's out, but I, look, I, I looked up the math for this. And what's really interesting is the tax that Jesus has to pay is the two drachma tax. When Peter, when Jesus says to Peter, who should not have to pay the taxes, the sons or everybody else, he says, now, here's what you're going to do. You're going to go down to the water. You're going to throw your hook in. You're going to catch the first fish. You're going to take that coin out of its mouth, and that'll be good for taxes. And the coin that he pulls out of its mouth is a shekel, which is worth four drachma. The tax is a how many drachma tax? Okay. Yep. That's enough money for two people. And Jesus says, take that money and pay the tax for you and for me. Okay, on its face, that's very simple to understand. We can do the math. The fish paid for two people's taxes. But what is going on here? We would expect that the fish would pay the taxes of Jesus because Jesus says the sons don't have to pay the tax. But who gets their taxes paid? Jesus and Peter. Why? Why does the fish pay the taxes for Jesus? And Peter. Because what this text is reminding us is that for those of us who are in Christ, we have been adopted by God the Father. 
Listen to what Galatians says. Galatians says this. God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive the adoption as sons and daughters. And because we are sons and daughters, God has sent His Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Papa, Daddy, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. You see, what Peter needed to learn, and what you and I need to learn so well, is that it's not because of how well we have lived on this roller coaster going up and down that God accepts us. God accepts us. God makes us His sons and daughters because of what Jesus has done on our behalf. You see, we can't earn adoption. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. And you can't repay it. You see, sometimes when we think, like to think about the idea of God adopting us, we like to think of like, you know, when you go and get a new dog from the animal shelter, right? And when you go and get a dog from the animal shelter, right, how do you select the dog that you're going to adopt, right? You walk through and you look for the cutest one, right? And when you see the one that's mangy and unkempt and she just kind of, and smells bad, you kind of keep, hard pass, keep walking, what this story is reminding us is that like Peter, we are not the good-looking purebred that somebody had to give away because they were leaving their apartment. We're the mangy dog with scruffy hair and that doesn't even know how bad it smells. Why? Because we can't deserve God's grace. Did Peter deserve God's grace? No. No, he had told Jesus, the whole plan that you have to redeem your people... Bad idea. Probably not good. You know, Jesus, you're just as nice as Moses and Elijah. No, Peter, I'm not. Peter didn't deserve to have his taxes paid. He didn't deserve to be called a son of God. And yet, that is exactly what God does. Some of us are trying so hard to deserve our adoption. Some of us think that if I just do enough good things, if I just do all the right Christian things, what I'll be able to do is pry God's blessing out of His hands. And we picture God as this Father who's a little bit mad at us. And we... And we're just trying so hard to say, look at all the good things that I'm doing. Look at how hard I'm trying. God, give me things. And we try to pry God's blessing out of His hand with our works. And when we do that, when we do that, we're failing to see that God's adoption, God's love for us is based solely on His grace. Is based solely on a love that we can't earn and that we can't repay. You see, because the cost of our adoption, 
The cost of our adoptions as sons and daughters was the cross. That's what Jesus paid to make Peter and you and I sons and daughters of God. And He did this while we were, as Paul says, still the enemies of God. While we were still the enemies of God, He paid the price to adopt us as sons and as daughters. He was punished so that we could be adopted. The one who knew no sin became sin on our behalf so that we might be given the righteousness of Jesus. So that when God looks at us, if we put our faith in Him, it is not how good you have performed. It's not how moral you have been. If we are in Jesus, if we are trusting in Him, then God sees the goodness and righteousness of Jesus in us. So, what does this mean for us? What is this story of Peter having his taxes paid, this idea of God's adoption even though we don't deserve it, what does that mean for us? What that means for us is that we need to stop living like we're orphans. Most of us live our spiritual lives like we're a character in a Dickens novel. Where we're wandering around person to person, jingling our cup, saying, please, anything you have is fine. When God says, no, you are the son and daughter of the king. Your debts have been paid on your behalf, I have taken care of it. And so for some of us, we need to learn more and more to trust the goodness of our Father. Some of you guys have dealt with, with loss, with significant things that have gone away in your life, with disappointment, and with hurt. And it's hard to see around those things to the goodness of God. That's tough. And yet the call of God is to not live like you're an orphan, but live like you are an adopted son and daughter of God. Some of you try so hard to control every nuance of your life. And even when you can't control it, to know what's coming, to be able to be in charge and to be able to take everything you can in stride. And when you're doing that, you're living like an orphan. When I'm doing that, I'm living like an orphan. And so the other call of this passage is for us to be brave and to be honest. You see, the way that we become sons and daughters of God, the condition of our adoption is not our performance. The condition of our adoption is our confession and repentance is the way that we move towards God bravely and honestly and say, Jesus, I know I don't deserve your love. I know I don't deserve all that you have given me. I know that I have not performed well enough to be owed this. In fact, I've done the opposite. I have run up my debts. Jesus, I am confessing that this is who I am. And the good news is, because of the cross of Jesus, if we confess our sins, 
He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and to adopt us into His arms. The words that Galatians use is that the, the word that you, that you call, that kids call their dad, that is the, that, that daddy name, that papa name. That's the privilege that we have been given if we will be brave and honest to confess our sins and to trust in Jesus. City Church, may we stop trying to live like orphans and see that Jesus, in miraculous ways, has taken care of our debts and loves us greatly. Let's pray.